mornings. I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up, it's out with the old and in with the new. A big moment, more than a month in the making, as we officially dedicate our new WFIN studio here at Lake Cascades. Also coming up this morning, Mayor Christina Mern discusses Finley's status in the settlement in a lawsuit against Big Pharma over the opioid crisis. And could more changes to the traffic patterns on city streets be in our future? And in today's Throwback Thursday segment, 45 years after Nadia's first Perfect 10, gymnastics events remain among the most popular at the Olympics, but the sport has changed dramatically since 1976. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Thursday, August 5th, 2021. Today is work like a dog day. That work at me like a dog. Work at me like a dog day today. It is Green Peppers Day. It is International Traffic Light Day. In honor of the very first traffic light, uh, which was installed in Cleveland on this day in 1914 at the corner of Euclid Avenue and East 105th Street. It says here... The first traffic signal had a red light, a green light, and a loud buzzer to get the attention of horseless carriage drivers. (laughs) So, happy International Traffic Light Day today. When you are sitting at a traffic light, complaining that it takes forever to change today, just remember you are participating in the celebration. National Oyster Day today and National Underwear Day, which... Again, if there was ever an event that should be observed every day, it would be this one. National Underwear Day. Let's let's all wear underwear today. Sounds like a good plan. Some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Thursday morning started. This is... Well, it's not the official announcement, but it's getting very close uh, from what we hear, the official announcement to the new host of Jeopardy. Uh, There have been a number of celebrities, been a revolving door uh, in the uh, host slot uh, since uh, the passing of Alex Trebek last November. And now it looks like the new host is going to be someone largely unknown for all of these celebrities that they've had host the show over the past several months. It looks like. The show's executive producer, Mike Richards, may is the front runner to get the job if they can come to terms. Uh, the industry paper Variety reports that uh, Richards is in advanced negotiations for the job. Uh, deadline says an announcement is expected in the next few days. Now, here's I read this and I'm thinking to myself, nobody knows who Mike Richards is. I mean, it's not like. Not like uh, Aaron Rodgers or even Mayim Bialik or, uh, uh, oh, who are some of the other, uh, some of the other ones that uh, they, uh, well, anyway, they've had a number of, uh, of uh, famous uh, LeVar Burton. That was the other one that I was thinking of. LeVar Burton has been a popular uh, choice among viewers. Uh, Anyway, this guy is. Really, really a relative unknown. He's a game show veteran. He's uh, produced a number of game shows, including Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Let's Make a Deal. The Price is Right. Um, he works on uh, Wheel of Fortune, or he has worked on Wheel of Fortune uh, before. And uh, he did do a 
a guest host stint for a while and was pretty well received, but nobody knows who he is. He's not really a celebrity in the minds of viewers. Insiders know who he is, but industry insiders, but not so much the uh, general public. So I'm thinking, how advanced do those negotiations have to be? I mean, he's not really in a position uh, to make (laughs) outrageous demands like, say, Aaron Rodgers would be. But uh, in any event, he is in advanced negotiations for the uh, job and the official announcement could be um, uh, made any day. Uh, According to uh, reports, show executives were impressed by um, Mr. Richards' command of the game and his on-air personality. So that is the announcement that everybody apparently has been waiting for. Big news this morning. Uh, A couple of uh, other things among the first things you need to know this morning. The most interesting and buzzworthy stories. If you live in a big city, you might have a lower risk of depression. His research out of the University of Chicago finds that compared with smaller cities, big urban hubs generally have lower rates of depression among their residents. Researchers believe this is because of all of the varied rates or the I'm sorry, let's try that again. Researchers believe that this is because of all of the varied social interactions that residents have in larger cities. The leader of the study, Mark Berman, says the smaller the city, the harder it is to interact with other people, which I've actually found to be the exact opposite. It seems to me that in smaller towns, smaller cities, uh, people are much more social than they are in larger cities. In larger cities, you're just anonymous. You're just a one face in a very large crowd, whereas in smaller cities... More people know who you are. I, again, it's my own observation, but I understand their point. There are more opportunities for socialization in larger cities, I guess. Um, they say in small towns, you have to make more of an effort, uh, which, again, I found to be <laughs> the exact opposite. In, in many small towns, uh, people know who you are <laughs> and know everything about you. <laughs> Whether you make an effort or not, they generally know everything there is to know. Um, But anyway, they say the uh, uh, they next want to study how depression prevalence varies among city neighborhoods. I want to break it down by neighborhood, but I thought this interesting. Nonetheless, Um, we had this story, I guess, a couple of a couple of days ago. Was it uh, last week? I think we were talking about this, but we have uh, some of the actual numbers now, which I think is interesting. If you. Uh, have ever received a gift card as a gift that you forgot to use, you are far from alone. A new Bankrate.com poll finds that just over half of U.S. adults, 51%, have a gift card voucher or store credit that they have forgotten to use. And when you extrapolate that on out, it uh, accounts for $15.3 billion worth of unused gift cards, vouchers, and store credits floating around out there. An average of $116 per person. And that's actually down from January of last year when the number was $167 per person. Probably because in 2020 we spent more time shopping online and and things like that. So we had the opportunity to use all of those gift cards last year. 95% in the survey uh, who did have unused gift cards, vouchers, and store credits say they plan to eventually use them. 
But there was a divide among generations when uh, 63% of baby boomers said that they would use them eventually. Only 32% of Gen Z said the same. 54% of Gen Xers and 42% of millennials in the middle. So, I Again, this is a, a story that we actually talked about, I think, uh, last week, but had some of the actual numbers. If you're looking for something to buy with those gift cards and unused store credits... You might want to check this out. Mattel honoring frontline workers with a new line of dolls modeled on real-life doctors and nurses. Among them is a doll version of Amy O'Sullivan, a nurse at the Wyckoff uh, Heights Medical Center in Brooklyn, who appeared on the cover of Time for the magazine's 100 Most Influential People last year. The doll has hand-painted tattoos, silver hair, and the colorful socks that Ms. O'Sullivan wears every day to work. (laughs) This is kind of cool. Five of the other dolls modeled on uh, Dr. Audrey Sue Cruz, a doctor in Las Vegas, Dr. Chica Stacy Oriua, a psychiatry resident in Canada, Sarah Gilbert, professor in the UK who helped develop the COVID-19 vaccine, and Dr. Jacqueline Goes de Jesus, biomedical researcher who led to the sequencing of the genome of the COVID-19 variant in Brazil, and Dr. Kirby White, a general practitioner in Australia who developed reusable PPE for doctors. So that's a pretty cool way of uh, honoring those frontline workers, the new uh, line of dolls uh, from, from Mattel. That's pretty awesome. And lastly here this morning, among the first things that you need to know This morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. Uh, If you've ever visited an Ikea warehouse, you probably uh, left with a belly full of Swedish meatballs. The furniture company famous for its cafeteria with its Swedish meatballs. And I love Swedish meatballs. I've, I've only been to an Ikea, I think, once in my life. But I did have the Swedish meatballs. And they are, they are pretty good. So what do you do if you are not in the market for new furniture, uh, but you still crave Ikea's meatballs? Well, now <laughs> you can light one of Ikea's new Swedish meatball-scented candles. <laughs> That's right. If you're lucky, you can fill your home with the scent of ground meat goodies for free. Ikea is giving away... More than 900 of its limited edition meatball candles. They call it the Hoovudrol. <laughs> because you know Ikea has all those crazy names for their furniture and everything else in the store, so why not the meatball candles? All you have to do is uh, head to the Ikea webpage uh, beginning this Friday through Sunday, August 22nd, and sign up for your chance to win. You're welcome. Get those uh, great Swedish meatball candles. So there you go. Some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Thursday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast. Mostly sunny today with a high of 84. Just a few clouds tonight, a low of 61. A Finley mobile home sustained heavy fire and smoke damage in a fire on Wednesday. We caught up with Battalion Chief Matt Cooper at the scene of the fire at 1910 Camden Drive. 
Occupant was here at the time of the fire, but managed to get out. We did have to go in and search and find a dog. We tried our hardest to revive the the dog, but um, unfortunately, the dog had passed. He says the arriving crews got a good knockdown on the fire and had it put out in about 10 minutes. As he mentioned, a woman in the home was able to get out unharmed, but a dog did die in the fire. Get more on the fire on our website. In Washington, Ohio Republican Senator Rob Portman played a big role in crafting an infrastructure bill that's expected to pass in the Senate. Portman says he's hopeful the legislation can be finalized and result in replacing the 60-year-old Brent Spence Bridge that carries I-71 and 75 over the Ohio River in Cincinnati. Much of the money is meant to go toward bridges that have a lot of commercial traffic. We've got twice as much traffic as we were ever supposed to have on it. Portman says Ohio would pick up more than $11 billion for road and bridge projects over five years, in addition to the $20 billion it already receives. Dave James, I went in news. The Hancock County Battle of the Badges Blood Drive is coming up on Monday. Deputy Corey Hartman, Crime Prevention Specialist with the Hancock County Sheriff's Office, is hoping a lot of people can attend the event as the country is still in a severe blood shortage. You just show up with your appointment time, and then once you get in there, you're just going to tell them, hey, I'm donating on behalf of the Sheriff's Office, or I'm donating on behalf of Hancock EMS, vice versa. And then at the end, we just see who has the most votes, and it's just a friendly competition for bragging rights. The participating agencies are the Hancock County Sheriff's Office, Finley Fire Department, Finley Police, and Hanco EMS. Get more information about how you can help out on our website. The Ohio State Athletic Department has announced that student-athletes will now be able to make money off of jersey sales. Not only can a player's name now be on a jersey, but will also be allowed for video games, trading cards, and even bobbleheads. Players have to opt in to the licensing agreement to participate. This will also allow Ohio State's trademarks to be used as well. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. So as we've been mentioning uh, all morning long, this has been uh, more than a month in the making, uh, but we are uh, here in the brand new, newly renovated and remodeled WFIN studios at Central Command here at Lake Cascades. And what are you doing? Are you breaking the thing already? You're breaking breaking it. <laughs> we uh, have been joined in the studio uh, by all of the uh, people who had any kind of hand in uh, making this happen. And uh, Chief Engineer uh, Burley Stapley is, uh, has been really the primary person who uh, made this happen over the uh, course of the past month. We kept him very busy. And just to give people... we know who to blame now. <laughs> just to give you an idea, uh, this, whole, this whole room was like completely torn apart. A month ago, yes, it was. Yep, absolutely. We uh, well, thanks to you, Chris. We, <laughs> in your suggestions, we actually um, kind of uh, reconfigured the entire studio setup. And uh, yeah, you were facing a wall before. Yeah, I was looking at a wall. We have a beautiful lake behind you, and um, a, a newsroom uh, that was to your right. Now that is in front of you, right, um, right. So. so it- so now you can actually see things. I can actually see what's going on here. Yeah. And uh, we the whole thing was uh, precipitated by uh, a, an equipment failure, and we had to uh, uh, upgrade some equipment. So we said, well, while we're doing that, why not just blow the whole thing up? Yeah, it was amazing because uh, it worked out because uh, a, a lot of on-air people have home studios, but you have um, apparently the mecca of home studios. <laughs> And uh, I, I think it's probably, from what I understand, nicer than the one we have in here. <laughs> but well, it, it worked out really that. well because you, you had a nice place to, to, to go. In, in the last studio. time we were here, the last uh, show that we did in this studio was June 28th. 
Oh, wow. So, <laughs> Sorry it took so long. <laughs> so it is uh, definitely uh, good to be back. And thanks to uh, thanks to uh, Bill Rice for his uh, input, the uh, program manager uh, here, brand manager at uh, WFIN, had some uh, input, which we ignored. Which, Well, well I was just getting ready to say all of my suggestions went for naught, which is probably a good thing. <laughs> well, that was... We needed your input because we needed to know what not the to do. We, what I said. We yeah. got your input. We just and didn't Mike, use it. That's all. <laughs> well, good. Mike Holman, our uh, general manager, and uh, of course Dave Glass, uh, who uh, was. Thank you very much for being open to the uh, suggestion because uh, initially. Write the check. I, no, I think it has to do more with Kyra, and because not only did we take Chris's suggestions. Look at the look at how she is out. The, she is Kyra? definitely yeah. She uh, she definitely uh, uh, was kind of in charge of the decorating. We've got uh, you know some uh, great old memorabilia that we now have uh, on display here uh, at the studio as well, which we didn't have room for before, and we made room and and so that was uh, very nice. All new furnishings and so on. So got a feng shui thing going on. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It is very uh, very feng shui uh, as it now. This when did we Dave? When did we uh, move? into this was like prior to the time that i was here what 1988 92 92 92 92. 92. so uh so 30 years and uh, basically we were operating uh the same studios with the same equipment for 30 years which is a you know an eternity and the the studio now is so i would venture to guess dave when you first moved here because the studios were what downtown before? Yeah, in the now Chase building. Yeah. So when you uh, moved here, my guess is there were probably no computers in the studio whatsoever. Um, we might have an, had an AT in one. Uh, no, the answer in this, is no. In this studio, there were probably, probably no computers. Not. Probably not. Because it was all tape and you know. The interesting all of that. thing is when we moved into this building. Uh, Denny Run, our chief at that time, would tell you that it was about a month later we took a lightning hit and had to replace almost all of our brand new equipment that we put in this building. <laughs> oh, we got a wow. chance to do it again. <laughs> which which that, that brings up a good point that uh, Dennis Run, the chief engineer that was here before uh, before me, he retired back in 2011, mm-hmm. laid almost all of the groundwork for this. So kudos yeah. to him for and you know that's one of the reasons why. The studio lasted for almost 30 years yeah. because it was maintained by Dennis to such an impact. You know, here's, here's the other thing, and I wanted to bring this up uh, because we essentially rearranged the furniture. They, in, and, and people do this in their homes all the time. You think, <laughs> what's the big deal about rearranging furniture? Imagine when you rearrange your furniture in your living room, you got to make sure that the TV goes someplace right. where you've got an outlet and you've got to, you know... Imagine that on steroids. You right. can't just move furniture in a broadcast well, studio. My, if you remember, my, my comment to you was, make sure that the furniture is over the hole in the floor where <laughs> yeah, the wiring comes. Where all the wiring Which comes actually through. is not unlike my house where <laughs> we have to rearrange the furniture in the front room because the uh, wiring comes up through the floor. Uh, you know, yeah. The, the, uh, I mean, the internet comes up through the floor. The, in a certain all, spot. all of the wiring that comes in here uh, you know, has to at least line up right. uh, with the way it was before. So that was a, a, a bit of a challenge. But, uh, you know, it, it, it this now demonstrates just how we do radio in the 21st century versus how broadcasting has changed since 1992 when we first... Absolutely. Yeah. Just, just in the last 10 years, it's incredible. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in WFIN and Blanchard River Broadcasting, Finley Publishing Company, all benefit from being owned by you know they're a small family company and 
Uh, most AM stations, heck, we just heard of a 50,000-watt station in Indianapolis, uh, one of the old clear channel, clear uh, signal stations mm-hmm. that just went dark because their uh, property around their towers was worth more than what the station license was. Wow. And here we are in uh, Little Finley, Ohio, investing in our uh, in our AM station, which is still a live local station right? Uh, for most of the time, doing yeah. high school sports mornings every Monday through Friday. Of course, we're not just on the AM band. We're everywhere. We're FM. You, you, <laughs> AM, FM, internet. Right. You have to, you have to really work to avoid us. We are everywhere. Exactly. We're like we're, a bad uh, penny. So uh, anyway, uh, thanks to uh, everybody who had a, a hand in uh, in making it happen. And uh, these are just it's wonderful digs uh, here. And you know the other thing that has been uh, interesting over the course of the past week or so that we have been finalizing everything is chasing down all of the uh, all of the demons too all of oh, the, yeah. the little yeah, it's, it's like <laughs> anything else things. shaking out the uh, the gremlins here and there and uh, i think we've pretty much got them all i think uh, taken I, care of. for the most part yeah. for the most part. there might be a glitch here or two a uh, glitch or two here and there for, uh, over the course for but, people listening out there chris usually has a list uh, at the end of the show for me so <laughs> i'm waiting on that one when the show's over today so that's good though but that's, that's nothing new when do you leave on vacation uh not soon enough <laughs> <laughs> well actually and i forgot to i forgot to bring it in burley for you we have a, a, a gift certificate for uh, you and your uh, lovely wife whom probably hasn't seen you for a month oh. because you've been here so much <laughs> she's been loving it. uh to go out to to dinner on us oh, uh for uh, all of your uh, work and i i apologize i was going to bring it in from home and i forgot to stick it in my bag this morning but thank we'll you. get it to you get the big mac <laughs> <laughs> can i offer the large and, fries and to bill thank you for uh well, you get the medium. the medium thank you for all of uh, your uh, suggestions to mike and to dave thank you for being open to yeah. uh the uh, whole idea because uh i know initially there was maybe some skepticism about what you want to do. What you you want to? And you had mentioned you're going to post some pictures on. Uh, yeah, yeah. Of, we're of, so we're going to get us. some. We've got some photos, and it looks like somebody's taking video out there. Dawn is uh, taking video out there as well. So we'll get all of that posted uh, on the uh, Facebook page, so you can see exactly what has been done here. Just real quick, because I know you're running short on time. Just an advisory. Um, you get no more days off because, <laughs> which means I got to learn all this stuff. And contrary to the popular cliche, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. <laughs> I've it, it's been funny uh, as uh, through this whole thing as uh, Bill has come in and uh, griped about this or that. I was like, you get used to it. You'll get used to it. You'll get used to it. But uh, but no, seriously, thank you very much to uh, everybody for uh, for making it happen. For uh, you know, make this kind of the official dedication of the uh, the new home here at Command Central. So it's great. Hopefully for another uh, at least thirty years here. Cheers. Chris, thanks for all you do too, Chris. Uh, great job every morning. Our first guest in the uh, in the new digs uh, is uh, Finley Mayor Christina Mern. Mayor Mern, thanks very much for uh, dropping by. We appreciate it. My pleasure. What do you think? Here? I love it. These this are, is great, and I'm glad to see you not having to like hit your board I to know. make it we, work. The, and <laughs> we were, all we the were, little things, yeah, right? <laughs> that's that's right. It was uh, definitely a time for a, an upgrade, and we kind of uh, blew the blew the whole thing up and. Uh, so it's really uh, good to have uh, new digs and uh, great to have you with us uh, in the studio sort of christen things uh, here this morning. Uh, stuff coming up uh, this week or coming out uh, this week uh, out of uh, Finley City Council uh, leadership. 
News about uh, Finley's uh, status in the settlement of a lawsuit against uh, three of the uh, major uh, pharmaceutical manufacturers of uh, prescription opioids. Uh, this I didn't even realize that, that Finley was part of this uh, lawsuit. Tell us a little bit about this. Yeah, so the city of Finley had filed a lawsuit against a number of pharmaceutical companies in 2017 mm-hmm. and then joined in 2019 the One Ohio Settlement um, negotiation. So subdivisions from across the state were encouraged to kind of work with the state um, and join up all of the lawsuits so that we were kind of all rowing in the same direction and hopefully kind of had that um, power of, of unity in, in moving forward. So two weeks ago, we received notice that they had reached a settlement agreement mm-hmm. um, that the attorneys were bringing back to us for consideration. And I went down to Columbus and and got a four-hour brief on it. So I'll try to cover as much as I can (laughs) in a very short time. Um, But high level, I really think it's a good proposal. This is something that um, will focus the money on combating and responding to the opioid epidemic and the effects that we've seen uh, locally. And and that's part of uh, what I wanted to ask you about. What uh, specifically, or or do you know at this point, how you'll put that to use? Because there uh, will be those sort of, I guess, restrictions or guidelines for that money. Yeah. We do not. And um, as we were talking through it, obviously, we want the money to be as flexible as possible for communities to be able to utilize it um, in the way that they were most impacted or the way that's going to best affect their community. Mm -hmm. But we also want it specific enough that folks aren't just throwing it into, you know, their general fund. Right. Um, You know, we reference a lot the tobacco settlement and, you know, some of the states. Is that that a guideline for what you're going to use? It is. The way you're going to use it? Yeah. So the money right now, high level is. Um, you know, it could be used on housing for recovery homes. It could be for education in schools. It could be for um, it re- really broad areas under the and epidemic. It's some of some of which we're doing currently. Correct. Right? So, it, so in effect, it would free up money that may be being spent in the in the general fund for uh, existing programs to be used elsewhere. So Correct. in that sense, it may actually add to the general yes. fund. Yeah, and, and you know, there are some things um, like EMS calls or medical responses to overdoses mm-hmm. that would be eligible. So, and the, the way the money is divided would be there's about $829 million that's expected to come to the state of Ohio over 19 years. And, and so it'll be interesting to see kind of what the actual timeline ends up being on, on the pools of money. But the subdivisions that are participating, like the city of Finley, um, would get money up front, um, and then the state would be the one that would kind of have a longer time frame to receive their money. Mm-hmm. And there's a guarantee, there's kind of a guaranteed amount if we settle, and then there's ways for us to receive more money based off of how many people participate, um, that there aren't additional lawsuits coming down the pike, a number of other factors. I, I was going to say, because initially there was not any uh, information as to an exact number or exact figure, and part of that you don't really know right now. Right. Um, so we know at this point, I believe that the kind of dollar amount coming to the state is pretty solid, 
but we don't have, we have kind of projections at this point that would be coming to the municipalities and there would be the city of Finley would receive funds, a number of the other villages and entities within the region that have participated will also, then the county will get some direct funding, the state will get direct funding, and then there will be 19 regions that will have a foundation that will grant out additional funds. Um, down the road and that board would be made up of individuals from that region as well as um, appointees from the governor and the legislature and again not all one lump sum this would be over time correct yeah uh the other big news uh to come out uh, this week is and, and this has been talked about but uh, kind of formalizing a plan to study the main cross corridor uh traffic flow traffic patterns and such what from downtown to i-75 essentially yeah so uh what could we possibly see i know a lot of people are going to uh, hear us <laughs> talk about that and say oh here come more bike lanes yeah um what is being done there um we're studying it that that's exactly what we're I doing mean, well right but what what is part of that study yes, i mean yes. what exactly you're studying so what they look at um are the traffic counts the flow of traffic the in and out off of the corridor um, they also look at, from an engineering standpoint, what is the available right-of-way? What are the, the most effective configurations of the roadway to move traffic both efficiently and safely, um, as, including parking, all those different things. So um, I know folks many times are like, well, why, do you, why are you spending money on it? I can tell you what you need to do. You need to widen the thing. <laughs> well, okay, but if you what? go through uh, areas of it, the houses are very I was going to say, widening it is really We may not, not have an option. It, yeah, it's not going to be an option. And I, I'm thinking, and, and this is part of the reason why it, it kind of, I, <laughs> I got a little question mark in my mind, because you can only do so much when you don't have room to widen it. You've already got just a two-lane right. street. I mean, what more can you do? Right. Well, so there are definitely options. Um, that's why we're working with the engineering firm to make the recommendation that's going to be best. You know, it, it may be something where we change the configuration so that you don't have the immediate four to two, um, that you may have um, some additional parking in certain areas. Um, hmm. I. It's very interesting because some of the things related, you know, I have obviously learned a lot about traffic engineering and sometimes <laughs> the thing that when you're driving, you, you don't necessarily think would work as well. Um, when the engineers look at it, you know, and they study, study it and they study individuals' um, habits, mm -hmm. it actually can create a safer and more efficient environment. Well, it, so it, it, is, it is a fair point because there have been uh, a number over uh, recent years, there have been uh, a number of cases where uh, proposals have been made by the experts mm -hmm. that uh, individuals have raised their eyebrows at. We mentioned the yeah. uh, the reconfiguration of uh, Blanchard with uh, three, going down to three lanes from four, mm -hmm. uh, the reverse angle parking downtown that uh, you know caused a, a big stir at the time. <laughs> People do seem to have adjusted to that uh so how much of of this and and uh, in many cases some of those changes are kind of dictated by the state in order to get state monies uh to maintain these things how, how much of this is predicated on funding considerations and and so on i mean so, are we're yeah. going to get some edicts coming down saying you will do this um, we're not using state funding for okay. this project so this at this point. At so this point. I think the biggest thing for us is obviously we always want the safest, most efficient routes. Mm -hmm. We want an, a community that operates effectively, that creates a safe environment for pedestrians, for cyclists, for cars, that we're making sure that we are looking at the kind of the best technology and, and methods 
for keeping our community safe and moving traffic through it, recognizing that West Main Cross is a major corridor. I think we're all experiencing East Main Cross being closed right now is causing significant right. issues in right. some other areas. So appreciate everybody's patience there. But the big thing is we, we always look at what is the best thing for the community first, and then we figure out the funding. So yes, there may be some requirements once we determine the funding that's going to go towards that, but we aren't allowing the funding source to dictate the configuration for an area. And I know that that, you know, Fair with enough. Blanchard Street, folks said that we were just adding bike lanes because the, the state was requiring it. No, yeah. we, that was the most effective configuration that was recommended by the experts. And it allowed us to have access to some additional pools of funding. So, uh, by the way, uh, real quickly, uh, since you uh, mentioned this, the uh, construction going on in the <laughs> east side of, uh, of Main Street, uh, some people, again, talking about people who have kind of raised eyebrows, talking about raising uh, the, the street so that in the event of flooding, it, it still is a viable corridor to get from one side of the city to the other, which obviously is important. But a, a lot of people saying, well, that's going to mean more water displacement and going other places. What's the response to that? Um, that is not accurate. Um, that, that's just not how the flow of water would work in that area. So when your water level is rising, um, the impact of raising that intersection because it was lower than mm -hmm. the water level, which causes the water to move to that area, right. is not going to cause any measurable impact to surrounding properties. Okay. Uh, we will leave it there for now. Again, uh, by the way, the uh, the other uh, question with the uh, main cross uh, study, mm -hmm. what's the time frame on that? When will we know what those recommendations are and what may happen? I don't have that, that specific time okay. frame at this point because it's going to just depend on the engineering firm's ability to get out here, get counts, okay. review the analysis. Right. Um, and one other thing, you know, we are closely watching Blanchard Street. I know lots of folks had feedback on that. We are in the final stages of getting the control panels implemented to be able to time up all of the intersections. Um, and then we will be doing the study here at some point in the future that we agreed to complete um, to make sure that it is providing the benefit. We, we forecasted and uh, again, appreciate everybody's patience as we have construction going on and uh, traffic displaced a bit. I know it's causing uh, some frustration. I know it caused frustration for me. Um, so and, uh, You're not immune from any of those I'm things. I'm not. Either, no, so. no. My team knows when I'm driving places and I call them and say, hey, there's a sign messed up here. Hey, there's litter there. Hey, what's how soon are they well, going to be done the, with that construction? Th th that's the difference between you and everybody else. That you can make those calls immediately right I there. I can, so but you know what? If folks see things in the community, I encourage them to email, get on our website, report a problem. You can report potholes, you know, issues where maybe a, a sign is tilted. Whatever you see, you know, we appreciate the eyes and ears of our citizens in the community. Fair enough. Again, uh, Finley Mayor Christina Mern with us uh, this morning. Mayor Mern, thanks very much for dropping by. Thanks, we appreciate it. Great to see you. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. This is... This, we've got some bizarre stuff in the broken news this morning. An Indiana woman is in custody after allegedly shooting her husband and chopping him up with an axe. <laughs> wow. Hmm. <clears throat> Now, that is, I don't know what precipitated this, but that's some pretty uh, serious stuff there. Police say Thessalonica Allen killed her husband in their Laporte, Indiana apartment, chopped off his appendages, and then this is what really caught my eye, this story. She had her children 
help her hide his body in a tote bag. <laughs> hey, kids, help me out with this. I chopped up your dad. I need I need you to help me stuff him into this bag. Uh, investigators uh, found the remains in the closet of her daughter's bedroom, and the children apparently told them that uh, mom had planned to burn his body at a later time. <laughs> We're just going to put him in the closet here right now so I can burn him later. Wow. Uh, documents uh, filed uh, with the uh, court also uh, state a to-do list was found in the apartment, which included items like stab him and roll him up in a sheet. It's... <laughs> she had a to-do. You wrote out a to-do list. Who? Uh, Ms. Allen faces multiple charges. I would hope. Man. Again, you know, generally speaking, when people die... Uh, it, it try to avoid that in the broken news because it's not altogether funny, but that's just so weird that I, I couldn't resist. That's just weird. Here are a couple of other examples of that. Again, exceptions to the rule. A 22 year old woman is dead after being accidentally shot by her boyfriend inside the couple's home in Philadelphia. Uh, there was no argument involved. Apparently he was cleaning his gun when it discharged. Some people just should not own guns. I mean, I'm all for the Second Amendment and all of that, but some people really should not own guns. Man. An Alaska man accused of starting a fire that uh, uh, killed a couple at his apartment complex said that that was never his intention. This is his defense. That was never his intention. Uh, In uh, Anchorage Superior Court, Christopher Ricker claimed that he lit the fire at his apartment complex because he wanted a new home. It's an apartment. I just break your lease, man. Come on. That's <laughs> that seems rather extreme. Uh, the uh, blaze actually not only did it, uh, uh, unfortunately, was one couple uh, killed in the fire, but 16 other families were displaced as well. So they're all getting a new home. And he is getting a new home. I guess it worked. He is getting a new home. He's going to jail. So that's, there is that. And then a couple of uh, more traditional items in the broken news this morning. Police in Boone County, Kentucky, say that firefighters were called to a home that caught fire early on Tuesday morning. When they arrived, 65-year-old Charles Mullins admitted that he started the fire by turning on the gas burners of his stove and then pouring gasoline all around the house. And why did he did th- do this? He said God told him to start the fire and then leave the state. <laughs> God told him to do it. <laughs> well, okay. Uh, apparently, God was having a slow day. And... <laughs> Man. <clears throat> and finally, in the uh, broken news from the international file this morning, firefighters in New Zealand said in a Facebook post that crews uh, from Dunsandal, I think is how you pronounce it, and Burnham uh, were, were both called in to a dairy farm recently to rescue a cow. You know, firefighters get these calls from time to time. They got to rescue animals. Usually it's a dog in a tree or 
or, or I'm sorry, a cat in a tree or a, a dog, you know, that's uh, trapped somewhere under a porch or whatever. But in this case, a cow got trapped in the center of a milking platform. Which I'm not sure how that happens. I mean, that's where cows can usually be found in milking platforms. But apparently this cow got stuck. And what's crazy about this story, uh, a veterinarian had to sedate the cow while firefighters removed the iron sheeting from the roof so a crane could be brought in to hoist up the cow. They actually had to call in a crane. Can you imagine being on the other end of the crane company when you get that call? Uh, Yeah, we need a uh, crane out here to uh, lift a cow. I'm sorry, you need to lift a what again? What was The cow did not appear to be seriously injured and was returned to her paddock to rest. So <laughs> I would need a rest too uh, after that. So that's uh, there you go. Uh, that is uh, today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, by of Hancock County. Veteran Services, we now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. It's the WFIN Virtual Car Show. Get them out, shine them up, and upload a pic of your classic, and we'll post it to WFIN.com for everybody to see. In addition, we'll have an online car show calendar so that you know when and where all the area shows are. It's chrome and horsepower on display online. The WFIN Virtual Car Show and Calendar. Thanks to Details Auto Spa, Loritz Chevrolet Cadillac, and 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. And during the course of the pandemic, many people tried out virtual doctor's visits. Telemedicine really became popular uh, during the past 18 months. There's been a lot of talk that the expanded use of telemedicine is here to stay. But how do patients feel about that? New Harris Poll finds that 80% of patients say they will always prefer having in-person doctor's visits. That is probably not a surprise. I think uh, doctors would probably agree that in-person is always better, but of uh, those uh, who were in the uh, survey, again from Harris Poll, uh, said uh, 41% said that they would that they have had health care services virtually since the start of the pandemic. 72% have had an in-person appointment, while 87% say they were satisfied with the telemedicine services they got, 66%, two-thirds, said that they would prefer an in-person appointment in the future. And among the reasons why people prefer in-person medicine still, uh, 53% cited the possibility of something being missed by a healthcare provider during a virtual visit due to limited view or observation. So that was the most commonly cited reason uh, people would prefer Uh, to be in-person versus virtual telemedicine. Despite all of this, 72% said that it is important to have healthcare providers who offer both in-person and telehealth visits. So at the end of the day, I think that maybe in the final analysis is perhaps the, the best, the most logical outcome is that it would be best for healthcare providers to at least offer both. Some will prefer uh, will prefer in-person appointments. Some would prefer uh, to stick with the telemedicine unless absolutely necessary. But uh, I think most people would uh, say 
both are probably the way of the future. Kind of interesting. Now to our Throwback Thursday segment this morning. Do you realize that it has now been 45 years since Nadia Comaneci scored her history-making perfect 10 in the gymnastics competition at the 1976 Summer Olympics in Montreal? If you're old enough to remember, I remember seeing that happen, seeing when it happened, and the delay in the posting of the score and the anticipation, that's one of the things that that made it such a a seminal moment in Olympic history, because they had to wait for the result to be posted, and the reason why there was such a delay in getting the result posted is they didn't know how to post it. Nobody had ever scored a 10 before, uh, and and so the display could not show it properly, didn't have enough digits, it came up as a 1.0, but everybody knew that it was a 10. And uh, it it was just an incredible moment in Olympic history. You know, right before the last summer games in Rio, sports journalist and writer Devorah Myers released a book which chronicles that incredible performance and how the sport has changed in the intervening years. From August of 2016, we spoke to Devorah Myers about the end of the perfect 10 the making and breaking of gymnastics top score from Nadia to now. It is today's Throwback Thursday. You had this young girl, younger than anyone ever seen at the Olympic level, just doing things that were mind-blowing. And not only just doing these incredible stunts, but doing them with such ease and such precision. And she really came to embody the way that gymnastics was supposed to be done. Did they look at that as a bad thing? I mean, it was mixed. On the one hand, it was this great thing because it became this moment and the sport really reached new heights and new levels of exposure and new levels of popularity. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the one hand, it was this great thing, but if from the perspective of judges, for instance, if someone gets a 10 and if so many, and a bunch of gymnasts are getting 10s, it says, and everyone's approaching this maximum score, you kind of have to constantly revise the rules to bring the gymnast away from the 10. So you have these cycles of revisions every four years where the composition of routines would change, where the elements would change. Everyone trying to get, you want the 10 to be this rare event, but at some point the gymnasts were getting so good that they kept, you know, sort of getting ahead of the rules in some respects. And of course, that, that changes how the gymnasts themselves uh, approach their routines. Yeah, and so since Nadia's first 10s, if you went back and looked at Nadia's routines and routines that got a 10, those routines weren't, are not considered difficult for the most part by today's standards. Yeah. Or even the standards in the 80s, like 10 years after Nadia, the uh, difficulty level had increased so dramatically that her routines from 10 years ago that had, you know, made her globally famous wouldn't wouldn't win her medal anymore. So definitely in that time since Nadia, the difficulty mm. increased. I would also say that the technical expertise and knowledge of the coaches increased, and you also had some crossover effect with men's gymnastics coaches coming into women's gymnastics and sort of bringing mm. that technical know-how into the sport. Yeah. So all of a sudden, like five years later, women are now doing the skills that the men had just done in 76. That's something that I think, uh, again, those casual fans really have to keep in mind, uh, bear in mind, because 
it can, you know, we'll watch this and it's very difficult for the average person to identify those, you know, subtle differences between various competitors. Yeah, I mean, you'll hear the commentators talk about this a lot, for instance, in the Neven bars where you would see like, oh, this routine is great, but she did, like didn't hit vertical in all of her handstands, which is a really important part of the Neven bars judging. But I would say doesn't matter to the lay viewer because they're not mm-hmm. looking to see whether or not someone went vertical. They're looking to see whether or not they did this awesome release move and caught it again. And so there's a real difference between, I think, what excites the general spectator versus what matters to the judges. And I think that's a real challenge for the sport in terms of um, communicating with fans. There will always be the questions of uh, of bias and, and what mm-hmm. standards are being used, and that makes it very difficult as well. Absolutely. You know, obviously all other sports have elements where subjectivity comes into play, where you have a referee who makes a call. Sure. But the entire outcome is not determined by the referee making a call. Though maybe if it was like a penalty and there was one <laughs> point for half. But in right. general, the totality of the score is not determined by this subjective, these subjective measures. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, yeah, gymnastics and figure skating um, and sports like that, even diving, but I think diving is a little easier to evaluate. Um, all these sports, like these sports are just entirely subjective. Even deciding, you know, we know that a double twist is easier than a triple twist, but how much easier is it? Yeah. Like, how do you, even assigning those point values is subjective and saying, okay, double twist should be worth, worth X and then the triple two should be worth X plus five. Like, yeah. is that far enough apart or yeah. too close together? So even those sort of subjective values where it's on its face, oh, we're assigning mathematical values to all these skills. That's so objective of us. Yeah. But then you realize how you determine that is also subjective. And, you know, in, in one way of looking at it, that's maybe one of the things that actually draws people to the sport because it does create conversation. It does create buzz. It does mm-hmm. create attention for the sport. So the, the argument could be made there. You talked with Nadia herself for the, the book, right? Yes. What is her take on that moment and where the sport has come since? I mean, her take on that moment was, you know, for her, she just did this routine that was like all the other routines, in some respects, just mundane, Mm -hmm. because she had done so many routines perfectly in practice, and... And so she didn't, you know, she wasn't anticipating this kind of reaction to her compulsory exercise. And if you read stuff about people watching Nadia train back in the early 70s, she had this unbelievable ability not just to do things perfectly, but to do them repeatedly perfectly. So I think this moment in some respects is amazing. It just transformed her life. But on the other hand, the routine itself was just another day in the gym, another turn (laughs) on the apparatus for her, which is weird because it looks so amazing to the rest of us. And I think from, you know, I think, you know, she um, very much is in support of the 10, you know, it's done so much for the sport and also did a lot for her personally, but she also recognizes from what I understand, just this extreme athleticism of these athletes. And she was, you know, just very impressed by what today's gymnasts can do 40 years after she made her big splash. Really was a a moment that would change the sport forever, maybe even more so than what we realized at the time. The book is called The End of the Perfect Ten, The Making and Breaking of Gymnastics' Top Score from Nadia to Now. Devorah Myers is the author. Do you have a website in conjunction with the book that we can guide folks to? It's just my name. It's DevorahMyers.com. Devorah, thanks very much for taking the time this morning. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. We've got the uh, link up to 
to uh, that uh, book at our webpage. You want to check it out from August of 2016. Today's Throwback Thursday. And that will put a wrap on our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program, of course. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. That is goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, speaking of gymnastics, Hancock County native Alexis Buchler was among the elite young gymnasts featured in a Sports Illustrated piece this week on the once glamorous, now embattled sport. She joins us with her take on what's wrong with USA Gymnastics and what can be done to make it right again. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.